0: Hi, my name is Kyla Bumstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, If you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, We believe that church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, If you want to learn more about our church, or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at RestoredTemecula.Church and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. God be with you. Alright, this morning we are jumping back into our series going through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've called this series, The King and His Kingdom. The reason that we've called this series The King and His Kingdom is because that's what we want to press into. That We want to learn as much as we can about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are synonymous. And the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it has a king, and his name is Jesus. And so we've been exploring the Gospel of Matthew through the lenses of wanting to learn as much as we can about the king and his kingdom. And uh, we've been talking about this reality that the kingdom of God, like you see John the Baptist, has started with him, and then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he preaches this message. He says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And you know what it's like to be near, right? It means that there's proximity, but not like a fullness of a presence. And that's the tension that we live in, post-Jesus, is the kingdom of heaven has come near. The theologians describe it as the already not yet. We're, we're experiencing elements and aspects of the rule and the reign of God. That's what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is. It's when God gets his way. We're experiencing aspects of the kingdom here and now breaking in, but it's not fully realized. But the day is coming when the kingdom of heaven will be fully realized at the second coming, the return of the Messiah, the Christ Jesus. And so that's kind of where we're at. But right now, uh, we're in the section of Matthew. We're in chapter 10. And chapter 10 of Matthew is all about the mission of God, okay? that's the focus, the mission of God. When I say the mission of God, what am I talking about? Am I talking about making disciples? Yes. Am I talking about planting churches? Yes. Am I talking about multiplying gospel communities and all these things? Yes. But all of those things are done for a greater purpose. The the mission of God is to overthrow the kingdom of darkness, the... Herrick alluded to it earlier, the the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, To be candid with you, I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. So oftentimes, my inner world, my outer world, like it's it's broken. It doesn't function the way that God intended it to. I sin against him, against others, and I know you're the same. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and God's mission is to overthrow that opposing kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, in me, and then through me, and in you, and through you, and all around you. That's what God's mission is, okay? And we've been talking about this reality, because Jesus helps us see this, that you can't separate discipleship from the mission of God. Disciple is someone who's following Jesus, learning to enjoy Him, obey Him, and operate like Him in all areas of life. And if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a disciple, you can't separate discipleship from the mission of God, from engaging with it, right? To say no to God's mission is to say no to discipleship. And so we've been talking about how there's this reality that the the mission of God to overthrow the kingdom of darkness in you and through you and all around you, it's not a suggestion for the Christian. It's not like a, hey, if you have time to squeeze this into your calendar, no. it's, It's an assignment, and it matters. And the result is beauty and goodness and the kingdom of heaven breaking in more and more on the earth. Last week, just some review for you quickly. Last week, we talked about how that, how God's mission, it always involves a who. It always involves a what. It always involves a how. Today, as helpful as last week was for me, today's a little bit more intense. So I, I want to warn you, buckle up a little bit. Jesus has some, some uh, rather intense things that he says. Uh, in 2015, I made my first trip to South Africa. And on that trip, there's a bunch of ministry that took place, but we took a couple days off, and we drove four hours into the wilderness, and we went to this, um, the, the small team and me, we went to this private game reserve. Now, if you ever go to South Africa, one of the things that is, I mean, every time I've gone, and I've gone a lot of times at this point, but the exchange rate is, is pretty, uh, pretty different. Your dollar goes a really long way. Okay? And so we go to this game reserve and it's like really nice. Like I felt like I pulled up and I went, whoa, like this is really beautiful. It had these like each each room, you could you stay overnight and then you go on a safari, they take you to check out all the amazing animals and, and all the things. But you stay in these like little like I're like little cottages. So you think you're gonna have a room, but you have your own cot. it's like and it's beautiful. Now here's the thing about those cottages, they're not connected to the main building. You have these walking paths, right? And so they're helping us check into our our, our space. And the guide, the guy who's gonna be taking us around for the safari, you know, the staff that's there. It's a small staff. It's a small little kind of boutique game reserve uh, lodge. And the guy goes, hey, whatever you do, don't leave your room at night without calling for a guide. And we're like... He's trying to control us. Like, what's going on? He goes, because there's lions outside. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably good to know. Thank you for letting me know. So that night, one of the guys with us sneaks out of his room. And we never saw him again. No, I'm joking. But I thought about it. I was like, what if the cuz here's the thing when the guide when the guide told us this when he warned us like he did it as he was leaving like he like he almost forgot to tell us <laughs> Could you imagine if he if he actually didn't tell us if he didn't provide us with that warning what could have happened In today's passage Jesus he gives his disciples a really important series of warnings And hear me, it's just as much for us as it is for them. So grab your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10, go ahead and flip there. And I'm gonna pray for us before I read for us. Matthew chapter 10, we're gonna start in verse 16, so you can go ahead and put your finger there. All right, let me pray for us before we jump into God's word. Father, thank you for the ways that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for being such an intentional father. You don't parent us flippantly or begrudgingly. You do it so faithfully. Man, I just confess how oftentimes I, I like I drift from the way that you would have me to go, and yet you're still so faithful. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to see more and more clearly the beauty of your mission, the things that you desire to see happen in us, through us, and all around us. Help us to see the beauty and love of Jesus in this passage. I pray that you'd free men and women this morning. I pray that... um, yeah, just uh, feel led to pray for anybody who feels like they're like, they're like imprisoned, they're like there's bondage in their life. They're, they're, there's like, they desire to experience more freedom, but they're held back, they're held down, they're let down. I pray that the beauty and glory of Jesus would free them this morning in a fresh way. Help me, Holy Spirit, to serve and love the way that you would, Jesus. We love you and look to you now, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16, it says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, okay? He's already called the 12 to them. He's he's sending them out. He's giving them instructions. And then he gives them these series of warnings. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Think about that. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you. That's like an intense whipping, okay? You could die from flogging. And flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me, to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are non-Jews. Verse 19. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will, will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Intense. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, because of what God's like, his essence. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. All right. That's our passage. There's a lot here. I only have time to really cover four things, okay? Jesus, he teaches four things about the mission of God here. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. The mission of God is dangerous. Um, (laughs) I mean, look what he says in verse 16. I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Um, If you've ever seen wolves and sheep, uh, they don't exactly coexist. One feasts on the other, okay? At harm to the other. And then in verse seven, he says, beware. And he starts to describe these various types of hostility and opposition and even persecution that his sheep, the sheep and his flock, his disciples are gonna face if they say yes to the mission of God, to overthrow the kingdom of darkness in you, through you, and all around you, okay? Jesus is warning his disciples that the mission of God is dangerous, when I was in high school, um, most, I, say, I would say probably the, most of my adolescent life was revolved around like athletics and friends. That was like my world, okay? And when I was a, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, about to go into my junior year, um, basketball was my main sport. I loved it. Um, but as I, <laughs> as I progressed in high school, uh, people got bigger, faster, stronger, and I was not as... Uh, impressive as the player as I once was when I was younger. I still played, and I still loved it. And I had a friend, he said, hey, you should, you should, um, you should get on the water polo team. I think, you'd, I think you'd do well in water polo. And I was like, I don't even know what water polo is. Is that like, it's water, it's in the water. What What is this game? And he described it to me, um, but he didn't do a very good job. But w- what he described, I was like, that sounds awesome, that sounds fun. I'm a decently strong swimmer, um, Let's give this a go. And so I try out for the water polo team. Now, some good friends of mine were on the team. It sounded like fun. I, I'm, I'm, up for, I'm up for most things, especially like kind of games, athletics, and stuff. And so I go to this tryout, and it, what took place at this tryout shocked me, okay? I knew about the uniform already, okay? I knew that you had to wear like an a, like a, like a old-school like, pilot's hat, looking thing and like Speedos. So I kind of knew what to expect with that, but I didn't expect what would take place in the water. Okay. Nobody warned me that it would be as violent of a sport as it was. And it's my first experience. Okay. Like nobody warned me that your opponent will literally try to hurt you. In fact, your opponent will literally try to drown you. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's another sport in the world where your opponent tries to take your life through drowning, but in water polo, it's a reality, okay? And so that first that first tryout, I remember being one shocked and, totally, and being like, I really like this. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Even though I didn't really know the game, I ended up making the team, and it became this like, I don't know, I, just, I, I started to excel in water polo. It was, it, was a, it was a really, really good time for me, but it caught me by surprise because there was no warning. I was invited. Come try out for the team. I think you'd enjoy this. But nobody warned me about what would actually take place in the water. Hear me. Jesus, he doesn't want his disciples to be surprised. So in love, he warns them. The mission of God, it, is dangerous. So friends, hear me. Like We're disciples in this room. You wouldn't be here if you weren't at least interested in that or open to that. But for the Christian in the room, the person who's received the gracious gift of Jesus and goes, yes, I want him to be not just my Savior, but my Lord, I want to follow him, and I want to take him up on his invitation to participate in his mission of overthrowing the kingdom of darkness, if you say yes to the mission of God, not just in these big ethereal ways, but in the small, everyday, moment-by-moment invitations from the Lord to participate in his mission, if you say yes to the mission of God each day of your life, don't be surprised when you face hostility. Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Don't be surprised when you face even persecution Jesus warns the disciple, the mission of God is dangerous. And hear me, like, if you aren't experiencing any hostility in your life, if you aren't experiencing any opposition in your life, if you aren't experiencing any persecution in your life, that might mean that you're currently opting out of the mission. And I I just want to be kind of, I want to be clear here. Jesus, he's not saying that we should seek these things out. He's not like, go seek out experiencing hostility. Go seek out experiencing oppression and opposition. Go seek out persecution. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is that when you say yes to God's mission, opposition and hostility and even persecution at times, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's inevitable. Because whenever you have two opposing kingdoms, you have opposition, don't you? And he makes it clear the world is hostile to Christians because it's hostile to Jesus. I mean, he goes as far as to say, hey, I don't know if you caught it in the passage, he goes, they hated me. They're gonna hate you if you're my disciple.'" Friends, we cannot follow the way of Jesus without encountering opposition. And that's why Jesus tells his disciples what the mission of God is going to require. That's my next point. Number two, the mission of God requires shrewdness and innocence. Did you catch that? Look back at verse 16, the first verse. He goes, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, here's what's gonna require. Because of, the, because of the conditions, here's what's gonna be required of you. He goes, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now, when you read shrewd as serpent, does does that remind you of anything in the Bible? What does it remind you of? Yeah, the very beginning, right? Adam and Eve, they're deceived by the shrewd serpent, right? By Satan, and it results in, you know, the fall is what what theologians call it. Sin enters into creation. Things are jacked up. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Right? It's an it's a, it's a opting out of the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. When God gets his way, they go, no, I want my way instead. And then literally all hell breaks loose. As shrewd as a serpent. Now, that word shrewd, in your mind, does it, does it conjure up like a positive thought or a negative thought? If it, if it conjures up a, a negative thought, raise your hand. If it conjures up a positive thought, raise your hand. Okay handful of you. Here's what, here's what shrewd means. It means a clever, discerning awareness. And oftentimes, and I would say probably because of what we see in Genesis 3 with the serpent and, and Adam and Eve and stuff, oftentimes shrewdness, is, it's viewed as a negative thing. But it's actually an amoral trait, as in it's, it's not definitively right or wrong, good or bad. Okay. It can be used for good, and it can also be used for evil. You, you can have a clever, discerning awareness that's used for evil, yes, to manipulate, to harm, but you can also exercise a clever, discerning awareness for good, can't you? Yeah, oftentimes it's used as a negative, but it's, it's not necessarily that. In this passage, to be shrewd, and oftentimes in the Bible, not just here, to be shrewd is associated with being wise, Um, If you want to ever do more of a deep dive on biblical wisdom, Proverbs is your place to go in the Bible. Um, And if you want some helpful teaching on that, uh, Tim Keller, the late, great Tim Keller, he has done so much helpful work teaching on on wisdom being found in the book of Proverbs. And I love the way that he he defines wisdom. I'm going to give you this quote. I think I gave you guys this. Wisdom is what Keller says. Wisdom is knowing what the right thing to do is in the majority of life situations where the moral rules don't apply. So for example, like, should I marry this person? That's not like sin, necessarily sinful or not. It transcends morality, right? It's, it's an example of what's the right thing to do here in the majority of life situations where the moral rules don't apply. Should I marry this person? Should I take that job? Should, should I move? Uh, should I make this purchase? Wisdom. So to, to be shrewd, biblically speaking, and especially in this passage, to be shrewd is to have a, a clever, discerning awareness that's oftentimes associated with exercising wisdom. You with me? Um, recently, uh, we, we had to buy a new car. My wife had been driving a, a, like a 14-year-old car, and it was doing okay, but we're coming to the end of the year. We bought it just before the end of the year because that's the time that you can get good deals on cars and especially the way the car market's been it's just insane everything is just outrageously more expensive than it was a couple years ago I digress so <clears throat> basically our plan as a family typically what we do is is we'll buy a new car and then drive it into the ground for 10 or 15 years and then just kind of repeat that process and so we're coming to the end of the life of of one of our vehicles, and it was like, okay, we're coming to the end of the year. If I can negotiate a good deal, then we'll hop on it. If I can't, then we'll just keep waiting until I can. And so spent, I don't know, a month and a half or so talking with different dealerships and trying to negotiate prices, which I'm kind of a weirdo. Like, I actually really like that process. Um, I know it's weird, but I, I... If you're in the car um, sales business, some of you are reputable and have integrity. Many of the people do not. And I don't know. I just kind of enjoy kind of entering into that space and uh, let's just say shining a little bit of light. And so I'm in this process of trying to negotiate uh, a deal. Find a good deal. uh, Negotiate the price out the door before I even show up because I'm not going to waste my time or theirs. And so we, we find it. It's all the things, right? So we go down to the dealership and... Uh, we have an appointment to pick it up, all the things, finalize the deal. And the, the, the price is pre-negotiated. So I already know what my monthly payment's going to be to the cent, right? <clears throat> I already know about the financing. All that's handled. We just need to sign the paperwork. They give us the keys. We leave. Right? <clears throat> and so the salesperson, um, we're sitting down, and he, he presents us with this documentation, And the documentation says, "Okay, here's what your payment will be if it's this many months. Here's what your payment will be for this many months. And I'm looking at his documentation, and I'm like, his numbers are like $150 off per month. That's like a pretty, that's like enough to where you're like, was my math wrong? Right? But enough to where you're like, but I I think I should probably check on this, right? And so I pull out my phone and I'm like, hey man, like here's the negotiated price. Here's what my payment should be given all of the, you know, the financing factors, like, a, like, a calc- like an auto loan calculator. I go, here's what the payment should be. Your numbers are off. And he goes, sir, this is, if, if you want the pro- car at this price, this is how much it's gonna cost per month. And so in that moment, I decided to exercise some shrewdness. Not rudeness, shrewdness. Okay, um, the deal is not going to happen with your numbers that you just presented to me. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste mine. Maybe you go back again, and let's, if we can finally, this is what it should be, right? And he goes, okay, let me, let me, let me double check, but this is, what the, this is what it is, sir. Okay, fine. He goes, and he comes back, and goes, oh, um, yeah, my, my sales manager, he had fat fingers when he was entering in the numbers, and, and so, yeah, you're, you're correct, you know. Sure, sure. But what that moment required was shrewdness, like a, a discerning awareness, a, a exercising of wisdom in that moment. Is this, person, is this person trying to take advantage right now? Shrewdness, not rudeness, but shrewdness. It required that unless I wanted to pay an extra 150 bucks a month for my wife's car. You with me in this? So shrewdness, doesn't. it's not always attached to rudeness, It can be. I think we've all experienced that and it's made us feel gross, you know? But shrewdness doesn't have to be attached to rudeness, friends. A clever, discerning awareness, all right? But Jesus, he doesn't just say be shrewd. He says what else? Be innocent, all right? And what he's talking about there is he's talking about being innocent in regards to sin. Sin is my way instead of God's way all right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different operating system, all right? Be innocent in regards to sin. It's, it's this idea of not compromising when you encounter other people's sin, right? In other words, it's not fighting sin with sin. I'm trying to teach my daughters this. I'm trying to learn this myself. But I can, it's so funny, like, the girls, especially as, when they were younger, one of them would come up to me, and they'd be like, you know, my sister's being so rude to me. And I'd okay, like, okay, that's, that's it's real. Don't be rude back. Maintain your innocence. Responding to sin with sin is, is, is not going to go well for anyone. Maintain your innocence. My sister's being unkind to me. Okay, I hear you. We can handle that. Don't be unkind back. Maintain your innocence, right? She used my stuff without asking. Okay, we can handle that. Don't use her stuff without asking. Maintain your innocence. Are you with me in this? Maintain your innocence. Um, I love the language that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans chapter 12. I, don't, I didn't give you guys this one, but Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, he goes, don't repay anyone evil for evil. And then like a couple of verses later, 21, he goes, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. Maintain your innocence. Be shrewd, yes, but don't be rude. Be shrewd and maintain your innocence. I love the way one theologian um, describes it. He goes, He says, We need the shrewdness of snakes without the venom. Friends, the mission of God requires both shrewdness and innocence. And one of the things I love about Jesus is he doesn't just. Tell us what to do. He models it, doesn't he? He models it. And he modeled this really, really well. Um, If you ever read about the life of Jesus, which we're doing in Matthew, but in all the Gospels, you'll see Jesus. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that he doesn't experience some form of significant significant opposition, okay? And yet, when he's faced with that hostility, when he's faced with opposition, even when he's faced with persecution, He's impeccably shrewd and he's perfectly innocent. And I don't know, one of my favorite examples of this is in Mark, yeah, it's Mark chapter 12. It's the whole render to Caesar. What is Caesar's passage? Do you remember this? So the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're hot. They're, they're in a very like kind of gross, hostile, but under the radar way. They, they want to trap him and they want to test him. And so what they do is they go in front of people, hey, hey Jesus, Jesus. Um, there's this, you know, Caesar, the Roman government, just so you know, the Romans and the way they governed was like horrifying, super ungodly, super wicked, right? And one of the ways that they did was they really exploited people through taxing. Um, and so they come to Jesus and they go, yo, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Like, should we do it? Implying that there's a lot of wickedness going on and all these things, right? And in that moment, Jesus could have publicly denounced the wickedness of the Romans he could have like, called the Romans out for the ways that they were excessively oppressing people, especially through taxes, but that would have put him in a really bad spot, especially doing it publicly, okay? And so he doesn't do that. What he does is he perfectly models this concept of shrewdness and innocence while you're faced with hostility. Do you remember what he says? He goes, oh, he goes, you asked me the question. He goes, basically, you're trying to trap me. He goes, pull out your money. So they pull it out, and he goes, whose face is on it? And they're like, Caesar's? And so he goes, okay, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and to God, what is God's? Shrewdness and innocence when met with hostility. Brilliant wisdom, Right? <clears throat> the mission of God requires shrewdness and innocence. All right, my third point for you that we learn about the mission of God in this passage is that the mission of God is it's divisive. The mission of God is divisive. This is intense. Look back at verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Jesus isn't being hyperbolic here. He's not trying to be dramatic. He's giving them a warning. He tells his disciples, be prepared, guys. The mission of God, it has the potential to divide even biological family. A friend of mine um, a friend of mine has lived this out she um, she didn 't grow up a Christian, and she had a pretty remarkable and beautiful encounter with Jesus, so much so that like he captured her heart. The gospel came alive to her in a way that was undeniable. She encountered Jesus in a life transforming way, right and so she starts like integrating into the life of her local church, and they're loving her, they're caring for her, but she has this like, she has this one hang-up. She wants to live a life that's devoted to Jesus because she's experienced Jesus' devotion to her. Not like in order to to earn something from God, but as a response, you know, to his, his goodness, his kindness, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, you know? but there's this one thing holding her back from fully like, and her community and love is like, hey, like, eventually you're gonna have to tell them. You're gonna have to let them know eventually. You see, she she grew up not in a Christian household. She grew up in a Muslim household. And so to let your folks know that you are a disciple of Jesus it has several implications on your relationship with your family. And so the time comes when she's like, Yep. Yeah. She's delaying it, you know, and time comes and she's like, I'm gonna let them know. And she she tells her family, hey, like, I've had this encounter with Jesus. He's he's changing me. Like these Borderline miraculous things are happening in me and around me. I can't deny it. I've never experienced a love like this. My life is 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 changing. It's it's and she is told that she can't live there anymore. So they kick her out. Obviously that's painful, right? That's hard. Most of us in the room won't know what that feels like. But saying yes to the mission of God has the potential to divide even biological family. And listen, just statistically, some of you, you know what this feels like. Maybe not in the same exact way as my friend, but you know what it feels like. Your relationship with some of your biological family is worse because of your discipleship to Jesus. Some of you, you've suffered, like, actual losses of relationship because of the decision to follow Jesus. It costs something. I think about this in my own life. I didn't grow up in the church. My parents, in a courageous way, literally changed the legacy of my family. I mean, God did it through them, but, like... A, a spiritual awakening from my immediate nuclear family when I was a kid happened for me and for us in various times when I was like a late teenager. And ever since then, I'll keep it brief. I just lost friends, man. I lost friends. And it hasn't been in the like spectacular way like my friend who, you know, her, her Muslim family kicked her out and all that. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was more of like, oh, I'm not really welcome anymore. Listen to me. The mission of God, it can be divisive. But Jesus, in his love, he provides Yet another warning, don't be surprised. If even the people closest to you would rather end the relationship than embrace the lordship of Jesus. Because listen, when a human being, when a human being embraces the lordship of Jesus, it means they're denouncing their own lordship of their life. That's a significant thing. That's a costly thing to hand over the reins for your life. And so anybody who comes to me and says, I want you to hand over the reins to your life, that's a pretty intense proposition, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven is divisive. Following Jesus will cost you, friends. It's a reality that we see in the Bible. Because remember, you can't separate discipleship from the mission of God. You, you, You can't do it. Saying yes to discipleship means saying yes to the mission the mission of God is divisive. And so I guess what I want to propose to you is we've we've gone over all these really kind of rather intense things and Jesus' warning, he's like, hey, the mission of God's dangerous, right? It's it's going to be difficult because you're going to have to be shrewd and innocent and balance those things at the same time. How many of you know that's really hard to do? When a car salesman tries to take advantage of you, my knee-jerk reaction is to be like, who do you think you are, you know? Like when somebody sins against you, How often are you really preoccupied with, I want to maintain my innocence right now? (laughs) No way! It's like, put the gloves on, let's go. Like, listen to me. The mission of God's dangerous. The mission of God is difficult because it requires shrewdness and innocence, and it's divisive. I could lose the people closest to me. Why on earth would anybody say yes to this? I'm just going to be candid with you. This is one of the most challenging things about pastoral ministry. I'm not ignorant to what I'm inviting you into. It's going to hurt sometimes. It's dangerous. It's difficult. It's hard. It's painful. And I'm saying, hey, come, come say yes to this. That's a challenge, pastorally. It requires shrewdness and innocence. It's divisive. Why would anybody say yes to the mission of God? When you survey your life, chances are you're like me. Some years are kind of like, meh. You just kind of get through life. And there are other years that are like kind of a big deal. Like important milestones happen and, and big events take place, really formative things happen. For me and my family, for me and Ebony specifically, um, 2011 and 2012 were two of the most important years of our lives. I mean, massive, like massive things happen in those two, those two years. Uh, 2011 specifically, um, I, can, I, can still, I can still picture it. I remember me and Ebony in our bedroom, We've been married for like, um, we've been married for two years, and she looks at me, and I can see on her face that something is up. And at first, I'm like, oh goodness, what's going on? And she shares with me that we're gonna have a baby this one. I'm gonna be a dad. And I remember in that moment, just feeling this mixture between weight, like a, like, a, like a tangible weight, like, oh God, am I ready for this? Excitement, like, this is going to be awesome. Uncertainty, worry, fear. It's this, if, if, all of you dads in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like time to man up. Like you just, the, just this instant infusion of like, everything's about to change for me. Everything's about to change for my wife. Everything's about to change for, for our, our marriage, right? And so I remember, like, sharing with family and friends. And, and people are, like, giving us, they're giving us insight. They're letting us know. They're, like, they're sharing things with us. I remember uh, f- so many friends and family that have gone before us, they start sharing warnings with us. They're like, listen, the labor's going to be intense, all right? The labor's going to be intense you're basically not going to sleep for a year, okay? So just be prepared. You're not going to sleep for a year. You're going to start to go a little crazy, you know, because when you don't sleep, you go a little nuts. And, and here's the thing. You're, you're going to become this child slave, okay? It's, it's kind of part of the gig. That's what you do. They cry. You say, what do you need? And you give it to them. Like, you'll be, there'll be times when you'll be willing to do whatever it takes just to get the kid to stop crying. You know, and you have to, you can't sit down when you hold them when they're crying. They, they, they know that you're sitting down and resting, so they, you have to stand up so that you're giving them just the amount of, like, movement to put them to sleep. You're going to be the kid's slave, you know? And so many, in, in a good way, so many friends and family, here's what you can expect when you say yes to having a baby. You know what every single one of them said, though? Every single one of them said, man... It's not easy, but it's so worth it. Jesus is issuing a warning to his disciples here. Guys, here's what you can expect when you say yes to the mission of God. It's dangerous. It's hard. It can be really painful. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. Why would a person say yes to the mission of God? My final point, the mission of God is not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I mean, listen, Jesus doesn't just use his words. He models for us, right? It wasn't easy for Jesus, but it was worth it to Jesus. If you ever, okay, in Mark chapter 14, I think I gave you that um, passage, Jay. In Mark chapter 14, last night of Jesus' life, He knows what's coming. He's fulfilled. He prays. He prays to God on the last night of his life. I want to read, let's just read it. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. Then they, Jesus and his disciples, came to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. It's not easy. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. The mission of God is not easy. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther fell to the ground. He's on his knees and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Whenever the Bible talks about the hour, do you know what it's talking about? It's talking about the crucifixion. It's talking about the substitutionary lamb who takes away the sins of the earth, the sins of the world. Jesus is like, he, he falls to the ground. He's praying, God, if it's possible, can I, can, is there any other way that we can accomplish the mission of God without me going to the cross? And then look at verse 36, and he said, uh, he's praying to God, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. There's gotta be another route. Can there just be another route? Take this cup from me. He talks about the cup. He's talking about the, the cup of the wrath of God, the unfiltered, All of it wrath for every sin ever committed. Can this cup, can can you take this cup from me? And then look what he says Nevertheless, not what I will, not my mission, but yours. The mission of God is not easy. So can I just paraphrase what Jesus is saying here? The mission of God is not easy, but it's worth it. Why? Because you're worth it. You're worth it. Do you see the devotion of Jesus this morning? First and foremost, the devotion to his father, his father in heaven. Gosh, is there any other way this is, this is, I'm grieved to the point of death. Is there any other way? Yet not my will, but yours. His devotion, his trust, his perfect faith to his heavenly father. And not just his devotion to his father, but saying yes to the mission because of his devotion for what it would mean for you and for me. The mission of God was worth it to Jesus because you and I were worth it to Jesus. His body, his blood, it's worth it. He says it's worth it. I'll call the band up. Some of you guys come up. Some of you guys this morning, you need to actually hear me say this because it's been a a minute since your heart has actually received. Stay with me. It's been a minute since your heart has actually received the reality of your worth. Do you realize how much you're worth to Jesus? Do you realize how much you are worth to Jesus? You were worth him saying yes to the danger. Saying yes to the difficulty of balancing shrewdness and innocence every moment of his life as he's faced with hostility, oppression, opposition, persecution, and he did it flawlessly. He had to if he was gonna be your perfect substitute. You were worth it to Jesus. And I know it's just my words, but I pray in my spirit right now that you would actually receive that. Not just for other people, but for you. All right. So I know this is a heavy passage, way heavier than last week, okay? But I want you to see how loving Jesus is here. Do you have any idea how loving it is to warn people? Hey, I know this is intense, but I'm warning you. I don't want you to be surprised. Here's the thing, though. Jesus, he doesn't just give us warnings in this passage, now does he? He gives us a promise. Did you catch it? Verse 22. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name, and here comes the promise. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures what? The mission of God for your life. And that that word endure, I think, is very appropriate. Because saying yes to God is difficult, isn't it? Especially when you're on the receiving end of somebody else's sin, huh? It's tough. It's challenging. It's difficult. The one who endures to the end will be saved. That's a promise, friend. The person who endures the danger, the person who endures the difficulty, the person who endures the pain of saying yes, the person who endures the difficulty and pain of the mission will be saved. That word saved, it means delivered from what? From the darkness. Deep in your soul, you know things are not the way they're supposed to be in you and all around you. And Jesus says, "For the one who endures saying yes, not perfectly, up and down, you know, we, we blow it sometimes. But for the person who says yes, who endures the saying yes to the mission of God, they will be delivered from that." He's saying, "A day is coming when you and I, the the, 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 the family of God, the, the struggling imperfect disciple, will be freed from the kingdom of darkness completely." delivered from it. in the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the reign of God, where God gets his way completely, that will be fully realized. There's no pain, where there's no, there's no suffering, where there's no more danger, and where there's no more death. How do, I have an honest question. Things are jacked up. How in the world does anyone get through life without some form of hope that this isn't all meaningless, that suffering doesn't have a purpose? Maybe, just maybe, God's invitation to you and I to join him on his mission is as much for our own formation as it is to see heaven breaking into the world around us. So can I just encourage you? I wanna close with this. Can I just encourage you with that reminder that what awaits for the disciple of Jesus, the person who doesn't opt out of God's mission, the person who says yes to God's mission, even when it costs them something, can I just encourage you for the disciple who endures to the end, the disciple who doesn't tap out of the mission, A day is coming when you will fully be delivered from it. The Bible uses wedding language. What's a Wedding. It's two becoming one, isn't it? It's a union. It's a consummation. It's full satisfaction in the union with the lover of your soul. It's what you're created for. It's not like that right now. Partly in the present. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's the promise. And listen to me there's nothing greater that God could offer. Like there's nothing that even compares. There's nothing greater than the offer of come be fully united with me, the lover of your soul. Come experience full, unbroken satisfaction. That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And for that to take place, God has to overthrow opposing kingdoms in you, around you, and he wants to do it through you. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able? I feel like the Lord's highlighting something specifically. In fact, there's some of us that we just need a fresh, a fresh uh, infusion of courage. That weariness kicks in. I heard a phrase recently, uh, hopelessness walks in the room. And for some of you, that's true. And it's distracted you from living out your purpose saying yes to God's mission each moment of your life. And he wants to give you freedom, friend. And so, Father, I pray right now that we would help that you would help us to see. Um, give us an accurate picture right now, Holy Spirit, of, of what we're actually living for. Like what our actual mission in life has become. And I pray for a fresh vision of the beauty and the end result of what it looks like when we say yes to your mission, despite the dangers, despite the difficulties, despite the pain. Man, oh man, it's not easy, but it's worth it. You ask any mother, was it easy? They'd say no. You ask any mother, was it worth it? They'd say absolutely. There is a joy that awaits on the other side of saying yes to the mission of God that makes the momentary affliction, the momentary danger, the momentary pain, not even matter anymore. Teach us, Jesus. Show us the way. Your kingdom is better than my kingdom. Your kingdom is better than any other kingdom. Help us embrace and say yes to the mission that you have for each one of us, to participate with you and your spirit in the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness in us, through us, and around us. Help us, we pray. Amen. If you're on the ministry team, if you're on the prayer team this morning, would you you make your way to the front? Here's what we're gonna do for the next uh, 15 minutes. We're going to respond to God <clears throat> individually and corporately, okay? Um, I feel like God wants to continue, throughout this whole um, kind of mini series that we've been in in Matthew chapter 10, I feel like God wants to continue to clarify some of the things that He's calling you to, some of the people that He's calling you to, some of the the specific ways that He's inviting you to participate in His mission. And so, if there's, any, if there's any like kind of question marks there for you, there's trusted men and women up here in the front that would love to pray for you. They wanna to minister to you, to bless you, not to, no strings attached, okay? So if you're, if you're finding yourself like, there's uncertainty about, man, I feel like God might be inviting me into something and you want more clarity, come receive prayer. Some of you, you've been in a pattern of opting out of God's mission and you're missing out you're literally missing out on the formation that you need to become the man or the woman that God created you to be. If that's you, you just need a reset. You need a fresh fresh infilling of his spirit. You need a fresh experience of his divine passion and love and loyalty to you, his faithfulness. If that's you, come receive prayer. If you're uncertain, if you're hurting, if you're in need, come receive prayer. And if you haven't yet actually taken Jesus up on his offer to be the Lord of your life, come receive prayer, all right? Band's gonna lead us. We're gonna respond to God as priests, delivering him praise and worship. And some of us, we just need to operate as patients. We need to be cared for through prayer. That's what we're gonna do for the remainder of our time and then Heracle closes, okay? Love you guys very much. Enjoy him.